0: Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Okay, let me address a couple of things real quick. If you're here right now and you're going, oh, goody, 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 he's going to tackle something um, controversial. Uh, no, no. Let me tell you what I'm not going to do tonight. I'm not going to try to solve theological problems around Sabbath. I'm not going to talk about what day it is. I'm not going to talk about what time you celebrate it, what you're allowed to do, what you're allowed not to do. In my opinion, actually, all of that misses the point. All of it misses the point. What I am going to do is try to bring out the heart of Sabbath from relating to the first people who would have heard this command. People who've been slaves for 430 years. 430 years, all they knew was slavery. 12-hour days defined strictly by how they made bricks. And finally, God says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to create a culture that is so awesome that the whole world's going to want in on it. And here are the first 10 rules of that culture. You should take a day off. Now, if you've been a slave for 430 years and God lays down the law, one of the laws is take a day off, you are relieved. You are not put in bondage. So anything we do around Sabbath that puts people in bondage instead of bringing relief to a situation misses the point. Okay? Anything you do around Sabbath, any box, we just talked about boxes, any box you put around Sabbath that that, that does not bring relief it brings bondage. Is actually that the last thing a group of slaves needs is another piece of bondage. It's the last thing they need. And you know what? You're no different than them. Something has had your life. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes is I want to put a spin on the Sabbath that might set us free if we catch the spirit of it. And to do that, I need to take you on a journey in Scripture. Turn back to Exodus chapter 5. Same group of people. Exodus chapter 5, verse 15. Nikki, I'm so glad you're here. I thought I thought I'd come and you just and I thought I was gonna get through this whole trip and you wouldn't. You're you're about to pop. When are you due? Tomorrow? last time I was here I told all the wives to go home and make love to their husbands and she took me serious really serious Exodus chapter 5 verse 15 you got to turn there faster I'm going to have to make up more jokes Exodus chapter 5 verse 15 And the overseers of the sons of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal with your servants so harshly? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are lazy, you are lazy. Therefore I say, Let us go, let us sacrifice to Jehovah. Therefore go now and work, for there shall be no straw given to you, yet you shall deliver the same number of bricks." Please do not read this just for the content. Read this for emotion and try to identify with these people. And maybe ask yourself, who am I in this story? And the overseers of the sons of Israel saw themselves in affliction after it was said, you shall not take away from the bricks of your daily tasks. So so this is a culture that's all about what you are doing for the person who owns you. When you can't produce for the person who owns you, they kill you. Life in Egypt was all about one thing, achievement and production of bricks. From birth to death for 430 years, it was all about what you could do for somebody else. It was all about what you could work and achieve for somebody else. Somebody else was defining your worth based on one thing. How many bricks could you make? My question is this, are we any different today? And I would say the answer is no. For, for you wives, uh, your, your life is, a lot of times, your worth is defined by how well you keep your house, how well you keep your children, how well you keep up with all the people's schedules, ha- how, how well you uh, do all the things that a woman has to do. And now we're journeying into a place where not only does a woman have to do all those things, but because of taxation and whatnot, women also have to be breadwinners as well, because you can't eat without both people working. And so what happens is, is your worth as a wife becomes defined by how many bricks you can make. And you husbands, I can tell you, I can tell the, the, the wives, I can tell you that the TV makes the guys out to be the bad guys, but I can tell you this, that there is tremendous pressure on men to provide even more. It's tremendous pressure on men because it's inside the heart of every man to feel his success or his failure based on how well his family eats. And when he has to look at his wife and say, I'm sorry, you're going to have to work for us to live, something happens inside of him that starts to destroy him. Why? Because in a way, his worth is defined by how many bricks he does or does not produce. I, I, I would say to you tonight that, that our society, in fact, is not much different than theirs that, that actually we don't have Pharaoh standing over us, but we have our conscience, we have the TV, we, we have Oprah, we, we have Dr. Phil, we, we have people telling us day in and day out that our worth is defined by how well we achieve. Our, work, our worth is defined by how many bricks we do or do not make. My my suggestion is, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, that we will find ourselves in this truth, that that we actually are no different than the people who got up every day and their worth was defined when they went to bed at night by how well they produced bricks. And, And there's something about a slave driver. Listen to me. The job of every slave driver is to take your dignity away. That's the job of every slave driver, is to take your dignity away. The first slave driver was the serpent. What was the lie of the serpent to the lady? What was the lie of the serpent to the woman? If you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. That was a bad plan. Eve was already perfectly one with God. And she traded oneness for a chance to be like. She traded oneness for likeness. She traded perfect oneness with God for a chance to have her life defined by how well she could navigate good and evil. Bad plan. Because if you make 100 decisions in a day, if 98 of them are good and two of them are bad, you go to bed thinking about the two. Anytime you have your life defined by how well you produce, how well you navigate good and evil, it's a bad plan. Because no matter what side of the tree of knowledge and good and evil you pick from, it's the wrong side. The first lie of the enemy to the first woman was this. It is a better plan to have your life defined by how well you produce things. And we're no different now. Genesis 1, the same sort of deal, the creation story. God produces stuff, but he doesn't just produce stuff. He produces stuff that advances itself, which is a great leadership and business lesson. When you invest in, when you invest in something that makes money in and of itself, it's a better deal than you having to put your hand to it all the time. So God, God, God's way of, of making things was a way that advances itself. In Genesis one thirty one, this is what it says. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day, and the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And he blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all of his work, which God created to make. So for six days, God creates, he achieves, he produces, he makes bricks. For one day, God rests. Then if God rests, then God is not creating. Now, now the central question in this for us and for God is this. Is God still the creator even when he's resting? Is he still who he is regardless of what he is producing? Is God any less God when he's resting than when he's producing? There should be a sense inside of us that God is God no matter what he's doing. That God's divinity is not dependent upon what he's doing at the time. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God will deliver us, but even if He doesn't, He's still God. God will heal you, but even if He doesn't, He's still God. He's no less God whether He's healing you or not. He's no less a healer whether He's healing you at the moment or not. He's still a healer. God is kind no matter what He's doing. You you have to to work with these assumptions that God is no less God regardless of who He is. And so God builds this six-in-one rhythm into creation. And my question to us tonight is this, am I me, am, and here's a question we need to ask ourselves, am I me regardless of what I'm producing, or is my entire life and worth defined by my bricks? In Exodus, they're in a wilderness, which in the ancient Near East was, uh, was reminiscent of a transition or something undefined. God, in other words, they're, they're moving from a life that was defined by bricks to something better. And in the movement to something better, this is what he says. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh. Therefore, Jehovah blessed the Sabbath day and sanctified it. Let me make a couple observations. Number one. God affirms work. He likes it. As a matter of fact, he has a basic disdain for laziness. Matter of fact, in one place it says don't feed a lazy person because you'll enable his laziness. In other words, let a lazy person feel the hunger. Maybe that'll motivate him to work. God affirms work. He likes it. The Jewish people work six 12-hour days. We work five 8-hour days. No wonder why they're producing more. Okay, they, But they rest on that seventh. God has meaningful work. Even in perfection before sin, he gave them jobs to do. Big jobs. Name all the animals. That's a big job. I'd have run out of things quickly. I mean, I don't know. How do you do that? Name all the animals. He had meaningful work for them to do. Sabbath meant this. This is all it means in Hebrew. To cease work or to rest. The command is not, is not to keep a day. The command essentially is to be like God and have one day that is different from every other day. Have one day that's different from all the others. One day in seven that's different than every other day. Now because of men, Sabbath has evolved into a list of things you do and don't do. Be bored for the Lord, in other words. That was never the point. The point was to stop working. To have a different day. To have a day that reminds you that you are worth more than what you produce. That is something very healthy to do. The scriptures teach Sabbath not as stuff you don't do, but as something you do. Something you enter into. That, that, that for six days you're laboring. And in that seventh day, it's not stuff you don't do, it's something you enter into. You enter into rest. There's an interesting scripture in Hebrews. It says, it says, it says I want you to... To try, I want you to strive to enter into God's rest. Sort of an oxymoron. I want you to strive to do that. See, see, in order to understand this fully, we have to understand time and space. Time and space. We use time to create space. Space is just stuff, stuff that exists in space. We use time to create space. Let me give you an example. We work forty hours a week to create an income. So we use 40 hours of time to create a paycheck, space, stuff. We go to class to produce an education. We spend time fellowshipping to produce relationship. We use time to create space. We measure a day by the rising and setting of the sun. So we measure a day by when the sun rises and sets. We measure a month by the moon. Our months are set up by lunar cycles. We measure a year by the rotation of the earth around the sun. So therefore, we use time to create space, and we, measure spa- we use space to measure time. So we measure time by the planets. So we use time to create space, and we use space to measure time. Sabbath is a day that is not bound by time or space, thus making it a day different than every other day. Sabbath is a day where we are free from the bounds of time and space. Let me just give you a couple definitions of Sabbath. Sabbath. It's a day of the week to remind myself that I am not a machine. You need that. You need that. You want to be whole? You need that. Number two, it's a day I need to know that I matter to God not because of what I do. I matter to God just because God loves me. When our worth becomes about bricks, we become machines. See, Sabbath gives wives, husbands, workers, employees the energy they need to make another week. The ancient rabbis said this about Sabbath. It gives us the energy to survive the voices that consume my world. That as you go through a week, there's voices. They might sound like this. Mommy, look. Mommy, look. Mommy, look. Mommy, look. Mommy, look. Honey, come here. Honey, come here. The dishes need to be done. The dishes need to be done. Go to bed, Johnny. Do your homework, Johnny. There's all of these voices that consume your world. Sabbath is a day where you take a break from all of them because all of those voices create cracks in your soul. That's why if you're a mom here tonight and you have more than four children, your eye twitches Something happens. There's too many voices in your world. It just does something to your eye. It it, it does something to you. If, If you're under a lot of stress at work, there's something happens. All the voices in your... Can I just ask us this question? Where have we missed God because of all the clutter and the noise in our world? Where is God? There's one scripture that says, God was with me all the time. I just didn't know it. Where have we missed God being in the midst because of all the clutter in our world? Tonight, tonight you've come to a conference. It was a conference that was free of charge. It was just by love offering only, which means we're trusting you to do your best. And you come in here and you can learn something fresh and new from God. But I know in a room this size, there's those of you who've sat through this whole night and you've listened to what I've said, but you've not heard one word because your mind is somewhere else because of all the noise in your world. Where have you missed God Because of all the noise and the voices in your world. Where do you miss God because of that? Sabbath was the day where you step back and you mended, if you picture your whole life as a windshield, you mend the broken places so that you can go through another week. If you go through another week without it, the breaks get worse and worse and worse and worse. It is reminding us that God wants to spend time with me without me doing one thing for him. He just likes me. Are we okay... I mean, just as a big question. Are you okay without your achievement? Let me just give you a couple examples. Are are you okay when you have to say no to things you can't afford? Are you okay with that? Are are you okay if you gain 20 pounds? Would you still be okay with yourself? Are, Are you okay not accomplishing something? Are you okay leaving one realm bricks, and entering into another. Let me give you an example. The the new car. The new car. Listen, I'm all about driving a nice car. I think all of us should. That'd be a fantastic thing to do. A new car, a great car, is a great thing to have. But let me just tell you this. If you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. You'll never be enough. It's a great, there's nothing wrong with it. It's a great thing to have. I reckon we all should drive Lexus RX 350s. Whatever. But if a Lexus RX 350 is a great thing to have. But if you're not enough without it, for sure you'll never be enough with it. Let me tell you something. The bigger house is a great thing to have. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. Plus, if you can't keep the smaller one clean, let me tell you what a bigger house is. It's just more to clean. It's just more bricks. If you're not enough without it, You'll never be enough with it. One of the great truths in the scriptures is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. This is what happens. Jesus is baptized, and this is what happens. Jesus, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he said that before Jesus had done one thing. Sabbath was a day to remind you of this. Now, I want, to try, I want to apply this using one of the words of Jesus. One of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, what he's saying is, is he says this. He says, uh, 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 the, the word of God is like seed. And, and when you throw seed out, it lands on four types of soil. It lands on good ground, stony ground, thorny ground, or hard ground. And the way we tend to teach that is this. Which type of ground are you? Are you good ground? Are you stony ground? Are you thorny ground? Are you hard ground? as if you're one or the other all the time. The truth is this. The truth is is that we are all, all four types depending on the topic. If I'm up here and I'm preaching on tithing, if you're a tither, then it's good ground. But if you're against tithing, then it's going to be hard ground until God softens your heart about that. If I'm up here preaching on anger and you're a very peaceful person, then that's going to be good ground. But if you've got an anger problem, you might have promised God a hundred times that you'll cure your anger problem, but that stony ground won't let it... T- it just depends on the topic. But, but, the, but the one I want to focus on is the thorny ground. It's the thorny ground. And, and this is what it says. The seed falling among the thorns refers to people... This is Matthew 13, 22, The seed falling among the thorns refers to people who hear the word of God, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word out, making it unfruitful. So in other words, he says, the, th- the thorny ground are good-hearted people. They hear the word of God. They allow it to be sowed into their life. But the thorns choke it out. And he said, two things choke the, two things choke the word out of good-hearted people. Two things. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. The worries of this life and the deceitfulness of of wealth. The, the word worry there in the Greek language is something that causes us to split. In other words, I'm here, but I'm actually there in my mind i 'm here tonight, but in my mind i 'm worried about how i 'm going to pay my bills i 'm worried about the three meetings I have tomorrow i 'm worried about that new client that i 'm worried i 'm thinking about the faxes I might be missing while i 'm here i 'm worried about the fact that I had to turn my cell phone off and i 'm missing my emails i 'm worried about who might be trying to call me i 'm worried about that son that 's away from the Lord and i 've been thinking about him a lot no, no, it 's it's, it's anything that causes us to split it 's anything that, that that makes us not be fully present it 's anything that says i 'm here but I I can never be fully present in the moment and get what God wants me to get. I'm here, but I'm always here and somewhere else. That's the worries of this life. Uh, Essentially, the the worries of this life is a failure to be here. It's, 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 I'm playing Legos with my kids, but all I can think about is the manager's meeting tomorrow. It's, 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 I, I'm being a wife or a husband, yet my mind is on another problem. And so everything suffers because nothing gets my full attention. It's the worries of this life. And, and Jesus says that you could be a really good person, and, and, the, and the, the seed of the Word of God can come into your life, and it'll never take root if the worries of this life have choked it out. And it doesn't mean you're not a good person. And all of us fall into this category at times. All of us have missed God because of the worries of life. The second thing he said was the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. This is a lie that's future-oriented. It's a lie that says, if I just had this, I would be happy. When I first started in ministry, I made $22,500 a year. In America, that is nothing. You really would struggle. $22,500 a year. And I remember thinking, man, if I could just make 30. And I did a really good job. So they called me in one day and they raised me to $33,000. was 3000 more than 30. I said, we're going to eat steak. 33000 My God, I've made it, man. Like I have hit the top of the world. And I made that for a little while and I thought, I think I need 40. And they raised me up to 41700 I thought, oh, man, I've arrived. <laughs> you made $41,700 for a while, and then I stepped out on my own. And the next year I made $999. <laughs> and I stepped back a while. But if you ever made $50, you're happy for a while, and then you think, I need $70. Then you make 70 you think, man, 100 would do me. I'd be set. And, and we talk like this all the time. We always, man, if I had his kind of money, I would just relax. No, you wouldn't. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. If you're making 100, you've got to make 140. It's the brick thing. It's something in us that needs to produce more. If you make 140, you've got to make 180. If you've ever made 180, man, 250, that would be unbelievable. You make a quarter million dollars. Man, I bet 500,000 would be nicer. You make 500,000, man, what about a million? What would it be to be a millionaire? Whoa. And you go, you go into that. To the point that it never ends. I tell you this there are people in this world who are worth $60 billion US, and they still get up and go to work every day trying to figure out a way to make more. And we wouldn't be any different. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. See, there's a six in one rhythm built into creation. God did it, animals do it. They did a study years ago at a zoo. And what they did is they they put the animals out for seven days in a row. They put a certain group of animals out seven days in a row. And they put another group of animals out six days and let them rest seven days. And they did that for three months. And what they found was the ones they let rest on the seventh day actually were healthier, happier. They were better animals. And it it was unbelievable what it did. God set it up. You cannot go against a law that runs the universe. You can't do it. You just can't do it. See, we're addicted to accomplishment, achievement, action. When we take a Sabbath just to do it, we'll become depressed because we miss the rush. I could tell you this, that you get so addicted to achievement, actual chemicals are released in your brain. When you first try to take a Sabbath, by 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you are depressed because we miss the rush. When we take a Sabbath for the reasons God wants us to, it saves our lives. Let me give you four definitions of Sabbath to the, to the Hebrew person, and you just pick the one that means the most to you. First definition, the Sabbath was a day for you to get the energy you need for another six days. Number two, the Sabbath was a day for God to mend and put you back together again, that which was broken. Number three, the Sabbath was a day for complete honesty with God. This is my favorite definition. This was the most common definition. The Sabbath was a day that was unlike any other day. It was one day in seven that didn't look like the other six, therefore hitting a reset button in your brain to let you start over. It was brilliant. Which leads me to this application. Do you have one day in seven that is unlike any other day? And if you don't, why not? And why not start now? To, to put rules about what it is. What it, do you realize that if it's a day that's unlike any other day, that it's going to be different for everybody? If you're a mother with six children, your day will be a day without laundry. <laughs> and, and guess what? The laundry will be there the next day. It'll be okay. It will. It'll be all right. It, let, me just, let, me just give you, let me just give you some questions. What day of the week do you not check your email? Do you have one day in seven that you don't check your email? And if not, why? Do you really believe you're so important that if you didn't check your email for a day that the world would quit turning... Do you realize that to think we're so important that we have to stay in constant connection, to think we are that important to this world puts so much pressure on us that we'll die? That the journey to wholeness actually is found in taking just one, not, not, no, just one. Have six days, check it 45 times a day. But one day in seven, why not make it different? Why not remind yourself one day in seven that the world keeps going even if you don't know what's going on in it? I'm telling you, you do that for a month, it will reinforce a truth that will save your life. Which is this, the world goes on because God is God and you are not. Do you have one day in seven that you put your list away? Some of you are wired up to have lists, I'm not. So my one day in seven might be a day I get a list out. But what one day in seven do you put your list away? Do you know how healing it is? Listen, I want you to feel this. Do you know, there's an anointing on this tonight. I'm telling you, if you get it, it'll save your life. Do you know how healing it is? Try it. Try it. Just pick one day this week. I don't care what day it is. Just pick one day this week. Preferably not a day you have to work for a guy who's writing you a paycheck, okay? But take one day this week where you take your list and you pretend like it's done even if it's not. And here's what's going to happen. You're going to wake up the next day and the world's still going to be turning, and the list is still going to be there, and you'll remind yourself it will be okay. There's something very healing about that. Something very healing about that. What day of the week can I not get in touch with you by cell phone? (laughs) What day of the week... If I text you would it be pointless What day of the week do your chores not matter And we wonder why we're broken You know we all need deliverance and we need we all need God to help us and we do we need that kind of stuff but some stuff is just common sense What a lot of the pressure we put on ourselves is put on ourselves by ourselves God designed us to have one day in seven that was different than any other day. Can I just help you? Let me help you wives for a second. Let me, please, let me help you wives. If your house is a little bit dirty, or no, if your house is a lot dirty, to have one day where that doesn't matter will save your life. It will be there tomorrow. It will. It'll save your life, and it might save your marriage it will. It will. To, to have one day in seven where your whole list of things to do, you pretend like it's done even if it's not. I'm telling you. It'll save your life. It'll save your life. Sabbath is a day where you live like your work is done even if it isn't, and that is healing. Sabbath is a day where you are freed from your slave driver of things to do. Sabbath is a day where you remember that He is God and the world will go on even if your list doesn't get done. To live differently is counterproductive. I could tell you there's a six in one rhythm in creation. So, in other words, if your rhythm isn't changing every six days, every seven days, if there's not one day in seven that resets you to another rhythm, your life is boring. You get stuck on one rhythm, you're boring and counterproductive. Listen, if you get thrown into a tizzy because of one interruption to your schedule, you will miss God's best for you. One of the greatest miracles God ever performed was the lady with the issue of blood, but he was on his way to Jairus' daughter's house. His great, one of his greatest miracles of all time was actually an interruption to his schedule. Can you imagine if Jesus would have said, lady, I'm on my way somewhere. Get away from me. I got a schedule to keep. No, we got to step back and remind ourselves God is God, and we are not. We are not interruptions oftentimes are God's way of reacclimating us to a new rhythm. And we need that. We need that. Let me just give you some application questions. If you're, if you're here tonight, I want to close this out with a good application so you can take something with you that would change your life. If you've t- you got a piece of paper and you're taking notes, I-, I want you to take a second and do some self-assessment. And then I'm going to pray. We're going to pray for some people, but I've decided uh, to, to, to really give you a moment with God w- 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 in this way. I want you to take a piece of paper. And I want you to take just one minute, and I want you to to answer this question. Who are the most important people in your life? It should only be a couple, unless you have five children. If you have five children, please write all of their names down. I'd hate to see them in counseling later. (laughs) Mommy wrote his name and not mine. Who are the most important people in your life? And without thinking too hard, I just want you to take thirty seconds and write their names down. You might want to throw this sheet of paper away after we're done. That's okay too. Now, as you're writing their names, I want you to listen to these questions and, and just do an honest assessment of, of how broken we are. My my question actually for us tonight is this is are you choking? Are you choking? Are you a good person who can't seem to move forward in God because the thorns have you? The people you just wrote down, let me ask you two questions. Are they getting the most of your energy or are they getting what's left over? Are they being put first or is everything else? Are the urgent things taking the place of the most important things? Let me ask you a second question. In one sentence, write down: what are you called to be doing? What are two things that you're doing in this world that no one else can take your place and do? What are the two or three things in this world that you're doing that no one else can take your place and do? If you're a wife to a man, no one else should be taking that place. If you're a husband to a woman, no one else should be taking that place. If you're a mother to a child, no one else should be taking that place. If you're a pastor over a certain area, no one else should be taking that place. What are the things that you are doing that no one else can do? And I would say this, that the best wisdom for your life would be to delegate everything else. But let me ask you a question about whatever you're writing right now. And that question is this. Is that getting the most of your energy? Is that getting most of your energy? Or is it only getting what's left over? I'm telling you, if I was doing this in a counseling office, it would cost $120 an hour. This is huge questions. Let me ask it this way If you were to move house tomorrow, what would you keep? What would you sell? What would you give away? What would you throw away? And whatever you're answering, why not do that today? If you're keeping stuff in your house that you would throw away if you moved tomorrow, all it's doing is taking energy from what you should be doing today. We've got stuffitis. And I would say this to you. If I took a look at your diary, and it didn't coincide with the people who are the most important, and the calling from God, then you're choking. You're choking. What is the cure for both of these things? The cure for both of these things is Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day where we separate ourselves from the worries of this life. There's something that is healing about taking a day back from all of our lists, from all of our things to do, to have one day in seven that's different than every other day that gives us a reset button. There's something about that that cures us from the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Let me give you something real quick. You might, I think I did this with you last time I was here, maybe, but it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do again because I was here 13 months ago. You wouldn't remember it. And if you did, we probably need to re-up it. One of the great things you can do with this is if you take a blank piece of paper and draw a line down the middle. And I want you to be honest with God about the worries of this life. The things, whatever you've been thinking of in the last two hours, that has caused you to be here, but really there. Whatever that is, I want you to write on one side of the line the worries of this life that you can do something about. I don't have a job. Well, you could go apply for 50 jobs a day until you get one. There's an element of that you can't do anything about, but there's an element of that you can. So, the worries of this life that you can do something about and the worries of this life that you can't do something about. Okay? I want you to take two minutes and do that. Just very quickly, even write it in little abbreviated forms. The worries of this life you can do something about and the worries of this life you cannot do anything about. This is only between you and God. This will be very therapeutic. Very therapeutic. Let let me help some of you. Whatever you're writing, God already knows. Whatever you're writing, He's not going to think any less of you or any more of you. He already knows, and He likes you anyway. (coughs) On one side, the worries you can do something about. On the other, the worries you can't. I have an adult son who I'm worried is away from the Lord. You can't do anything about that. He's an adult. You have to believe God for him. There's nothing you can do about that. Nothing you can do about it. Barack Obama. Can't do anything about him. Not one thing. Not one thing. He's too cool. Can't do anything about him. Can't do anything about the New Zealand dollar. You exporters, you're happy with it. People like me who take money out, we're very sad with it. Can't do anything about it. Can't do anything about that. The worries that you can do something about on one side, the worries that you can't on the other. Okay, I want you to look this way. And if you haven't finished your list, just finish it in a second. I want you to look at the one you can do something about. Look at the one you can. I want you to listen to me very carefully. I'm going to go Joyce Meyer on you. Shut up, quit complaining, get off your behind and do something about it. Don't let me come back a year from now and you still be in the same place with the same worries about stuff you could do something about. If you say, I don't know what to do, go see someone who does know what to do. Go see a life coach. Go see a counselor. Go see a doctor. Go see someone who can give you some insight on what to do about that problem. If you can do something about it, get off your behind, quit complaining, and do something about it. If you don't like Joyce, well, I guess you can like Joel. You're a champion. God loves you. You don't let that devil get in your head and get you all negative. You tell him to go on back to hell where he came from. Me and Victoria, we was talking the other day, I what daddy you say about y'all. And y'all just ain't beautiful people. Y'all are champions. So the next time that devil gets in your head and goes round and round and round and round, you don't pay him no attention. You just reach back into yourself and you reach into that person that is a champion. And you reach forward and you be positive and be the champion in God. God called you to be. If you can do something about it, do something about it. But I want to end tonight with the side that you can't do anything about. And if you're here tonight and the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth have kept the word of God from taking root in your life, and it's because of something you can't do anything about, then tonight, I want you to have a holy moment with God where you be still and know that He is God and you are not. That you be still and know that He loves you regardless of whether what something works out or what something doesn't. That He is no less God or no more God regardless of what happens. That that is where trust comes in. I challenge you also to begin to take a Sabbath. To have one day in seven that's different than every other day. To remind yourself to be whole. Let's pray together. And Lord, what I want you to do is I want you to clear your mind of everything. If you were worrying tonight, just, just for the next one minute, I want to minister to you. And I was going to have an altar call and do some things, and we'll probably do that Sunday. I, I, I just felt that the list and you doing some business with God was effective. But I, I want you, and, I, and I don't want to tie myself down to any one way to minister. But I can tell you this, if, if you just wrap your awareness for just the next 60 seconds around God, and I want you to do something, I want you to just sort of repent for thinking you're so important that you don't need a Sabbath, or even worse, you're too busy to take a Sabbath. That's kind of the point. And maybe right now, underneath your breath, you need to make a commitment with the Lord to have one day in seven that's different than all the other days. Just try it for the next, try it for the next 60 days and see what happens in your life. Just have a headache tablet ready for the first couple ones and, and then you'll get used to the idea and it'll give you pleasure to sit back and know that God is God and you're not. And I want to ask you this question. If this room right now, if it filled up with water and it totally enveloped you and you could still breathe and that water was the love of God, what would you feel like now? To be totally enveloped with a God who is committed to increase you. What would you feel like? What would it be like? Lord, I ask you now to just flood the souls of every person here. Fill up all their cracks. Fill up all their broken, hurting spots. Lord, we confess to you right now that we're broken, hurting people. With a lot of pain... And a lot of cracks. Lord, I ask that right now that you would fill our broken, hurting cracks. Fill those spots in our soul that are filled with pain and worry and distress and pressure. Fill them up with you, Lord. Just now, would you just let your presence flow through this place? Like you can feel it now. I can sense it. I can sense your presence just going right through this place just now. 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 Now, would you just take a deep breath in, breathing in God, and then deep breath out, knowing that God is in your breath. Lord, and as we breathe in, would you just fill all the broken spots in our life? Forgive us for, forgive us for the thoughts, Lord, that we think we're God. We're not. Heal our brokenness, God. May we be keepers of the Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen.